0: Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with earthquake forecaster, Dr. Lucy Jones. This podcast is made possible by small donations from individuals just like you. Would you consider sponsoring too? Because with your support, we can continue to provide this weekly insight and support for you. It's simple. Just go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P A T R E O N.com. And now let's get to it. This is our second in a four part series around earthquake prediction. In our first segment, you said, Lucy, that earthquake prediction is impossible, that the size, location, and time combination cannot be predicted. And if you missed our first segment, it would be helpful to go listen to that now before we get into this. That's episode 30. So now, here in episode 31, You say it's impossible, but I know you were involved over the years in creating earthquake advisories, official statements to say what is likely to happen next with the earthquakes. I know it's not a prediction, but it sure seems that way.
1: We're looking at the difference between a deterministic prediction of a particular event and evaluating the consequences of a rate. Earthquakes happen at different rates in different places, and we can know that rate but the time of an individual event is random about that rate.
0: Okay, so let's make it closer to something that we all deal with on a daily basis, the weather. And I'm not talking about earthquake weather. Can you explain the connection between like weather forecasting and predicting rain and how that connects to this issue of earthquake prediction?
1: Okay, so a region will have a rate at which rain happens. Let's say Washington, D.C., averages... Uh, a rain event about a couple times a week. So I can say it's probably going to rain this week in DC just because that's what the rate is. If I want to say, is it going to rain this afternoon? Then we need to go and use radar and see the storm front coming in. And then we can say, oh, this rain rain event is going to arrive at three o'clock this afternoon. So we have this difference between a rate which doesn't tell you the time of any one event, but does tell you a longer term likelihood versus predicting a particular storm coming in.
0: Okay, so connect it back to earthquakes.
1: All right, in earthquakes, we can have the rate. I can tell you we average 50 earthquakes every day in Southern California, or that we average two to three magnitude fives each year in Southern California, but we don't have radar. There's nothing that has to happen before a particular earthquake can occur. Or, or if there is, and we haven't recognized it, it's happening before every earthquake, regardless of size. And then it's going on all the time. The one thing that's different with earthquakes than weather is even though we don't have radar, we do have variable rates. You know, when one earthquake happens, it increases the rate producing aftershocks, including the possibility of an aftershock that's bigger than the main shock. And we can use this to give you a much higher probability than we would on an ordinary basis. You know, for instance, go back a long ways to the 1994 Northridge earthquake. That was a magnitude 6.7 at 4.30 in the morning. At a press conference about noon, I said, there's probably gonna be a magnitude five this afternoon. And in fact, a couple hours later, there was a 5.6 in Simi Valley, and people were, hey, you predicted that earthquake. And I said, no, I just told you that the rate was so high that a magnitude 5 was practically inevitable.
0: So most people would call that a prediction, though, right? You gave them a general location, right, within the aftershock zone, the general time this afternoon, and a general size, you know, about or greater than 5.0.
1: And in a sense, it was, but it really was just because the rate was so high. It's like, imagine I have a huge container of ping pong balls, and most of them are red, the small events, and a few of them are blue, the magnitude fives. And one of them is white, a really big earthquake, maybe a seven or an eight. And when we start triggering earthquakes, you know, the Northridge just earthquake just happened, And we're now throwing out a lot of the ping pong balls. We are triggering a lot of earthquakes and there's thousands of them. And most of them are red. They're the little events. But when you're throwing out thousands of them today, a few of them are going to have to get, be bigger. You're just by random chance, you're going to pick out some of those bigger ones. And that's what I was doing that afternoon was saying, we're throwing out so many events, some of them are going to have to get above magnitude five. That totally makes sense now that you've got ping pong balls in the equation. (laughs) I've also heard you
0: say that without an earthquake having happened, you say that the likelihood of an earthquake on the San Andreas is one or two percent, right? That's the one earthquake fault that you talk about as having a rate or a likelihood, um, almost considered a prediction, but I know it's not. Uh, and it's quite specific. It's it's a specific sort of length of the fault, right? It's in the Southern San Andreas. I even remember there was an article in the LA Times a few years back that said that the San Andreas was locked and loaded, ready to go. And people thought that was a prediction. So how is the San Andreas where the earthquake hasn't happened yet versus like a Northridge type event where it has happened? How is that different? How are we able to talk about those things differently when we talk about a rate?
1: One aspect is that the rate on the San Andreas fault, the long-term rate, is so much higher than the other regions that it starts being noticeable. So one to 2% chance of a San Andreas fault this year is just a statement that the rate on that fault is so high. And it's true every year. It's been true for decades, It's just every few years, the journalists pick it back up again and they assume there must be a time element to it. It's, It's back to this, You know, geologists talk about time in a different way than most other people.
0: I'll interrupt there. That's our episode 15 is talking about geologic time and disasters.
1: Right. So the San Andreas, it's just, it's so active. It's starting to approach human time when it's really a geologic time sort of function. It's a rate again. Now, there is one other situation. There have been times that I have said publicly that there is some percentage chance of a San Andreas earthquake today. And that is the special condition when an increased rate starts to approach the prediction of a particular earthquake. Let's let's go back to our ping pong balls to explain this. In most locations, you've got lots of little earthquakes, some moderate and a very few really big ones. That's the distribution of the ping pong balls in your container. But what you can trigger with any one earthquake is only what's very, very nearby. You know, this is not something where an earthquake in Northridge is going to set off the San Andreas earthquake. It's what you can trigger right where you are. So now when you have a potential earthquake for triggering, say, a magnitude four, and, you know, in Northridge you'd say, well, it's probably gonna trigger some twos or threes and that's, you know, we really don't even think about the other ones even though it's technically possible. But now if you take that four and you put it right at the San Andreas, you've got this really big fault with a really high rate of activity available to be triggered. And it's like you've changed the distribution of ping pong balls in your container. Instead of having just one big one, one white ball for thousands or tens of thousands of little ones, now maybe you've got a white ball with only maybe 100 red balls. So you have a magnitude four and you trigger 10 other events. Now you've got a decent chance that one of them is going to be the big one instead of just the little ones.
0: So what you're saying then, is that scientific-based advisories, when you stand up and say the likelihood has increased or there's a chance of having one today, are all about sequences and events already underway. It's not about something that we're predicting out of the ether, it's actually based on what's actually happening right now.
1: Right, it's the basic idea that earthquakes never happen by themselves. Every earthquake makes another earthquake more likely, and those advisories that are issued are describing what we know about how triggering works. And an important feature of any of these scientifically based advisories is that it is never for a time off in the future. The most likely time for a triggered earthquake is right now, right after the first one, and the rate dies off as one over time and you don't have to get very far away from that first earthquake to have the rate go way down.
0: So what should we be listening for when it comes to these uh, advisories versus sort of somebody claiming something that's untrue or unscientific? What are some key things we should be listening for?
1: First, listen for the time. If it's saying that there will be a quake sometime in the future, it's not based on science. The only science-based ones are based on triggering and that means that the most likely time is right now and if you get to some time in the future the risk is all gone also look at the probabilities i mean the science based ones never get above about a 10% chance or so of a big earthquake in the next few days in my whole career there was once we got up to a 15% chance for a san andreas earthquake in 3 days you know it didn't happen you you probably noticed that. If if you see someone saying there's a 50% chance or a, a 98% chance, something I saw recently, that is not from a science-based technique.
0: And again, those are for specific earthquakes at specific times in specific locations.
1: Right, I can give you a 98% chance of an earthquake if we say for a magnitude three somewhere in California in the next week. Yeah, that's a pretty good guess. But for a specific earthquake in a specific time, In the future, with a high probability, there's no way that's based on science.
0: This is great insight to recognize that there are some warnings that can help us manage what's next once an event has happened. And I think in our next segment on this series of predictions, we're going to look at what information can be provided in an instant once an earthquake has begun. That's the basis for earthquake early warning. And that's next time. So until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.